0: All right. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, anybody know what's coming up this week? Wow, you guys sound so excited about it. You too many relatives coming over, or what? So Thanksgiving's coming up, right? And uh, Thanksgiving is when we give. It's almost like Narel wasn't even here this last Sunday. When <laughs> we uh, we give thanks, and do uh, you know, uh, giving thanks is uh, is. Uh, one of the, the chief things we are called to do as Christians. It's amazing uh, if, if we read um, Philippians 4 or uh, several other passages. Uh, Romans 1 talks about the, the sins of humanity. Uh, one of the primary sins of humanity is not giving thanks to God. Uh, and then uh, Philippians 4 uh, says, uh, kind of contrast, giving thanks to rejoicing So, uh, and, and anxiety. So if you're suffering from a joyless uh, or uh, life or anxiety life, um, giving thanks is actually an antidote for that. So what a great opportunity we have coming up this week in giving thanks to God for all the good things that he's done, to write them down, to let people know, and I want you to know I'm thankful for you, and I am thankful for the opportunities that we have to, uh, to read the Word right now. It's, it, is, uh, it is not to be taken for granted. Um, well, uh, let me uh, pray for us together, and, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into this morning's message. Um, Father, uh, we're so grateful for all that you have done. You're a good and loving God. And yet, Lord, we, uh, we sometimes struggle from hardened hearts, and we pray that you would break up the unplowed ground, and that your word would not be sown among the thorns, that our hearts would be circumcised to you. Father, we, uh, we pray that our hearts would be soft towards you and resolute in their affections. Let our passions and desires and hopes and dreams be caught up in who you are and who you say we are. You are our creator, our sustainer, the lover of our souls, the author of our salvation, and we are the work of your hand. You are the potter, we are the clay. We are the breath of your mouth and the dust of the earth, and we confess that we are fallen, sinful, and in need of redemption, and our greatest need is the faith to believe in your grace. By the blood of Christ, we've been saved. By the strength of Jesus' indestructible life, we have hope. And because of the work of Christ, we need only confess and turn, and that we are not ashamed because we know who we have believed in and we are convinced that he is able to guard what we have entrusted to him until that day. Father, we lift up the place to gather to you. We pray that you would build this house. This is such a big thing for us and such a small thing for you. We pray for healing for our brother Tom. We pray for approval of the PUD and finances still needed to complete the project. Uh, we pray most of all that you'd be glorified in it and the community would be served. And now we pray that your Holy Spirit would superintend our time together here as we turn our attention to your word, that you'd work on our hearts and minds, that we would give you the glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to give a brief uh, place to gather update here. We, uh, uh, if you don't know, LifeSpring is building a a place to gather to bless the neighborhood, schools, and families in the greater Richmond Spring Grove area. And uh, this is a statement that is 100% true, but there's also a parallel statement that's true. Uh, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And so we might rightly say that God is building a place to gather that will bless the neighborhood, schools, and families in our surrounding community. And that we need to pray for this place together, that God be glorified there. And uh, so I, I wanted to give a, a, a couple of different ways that we could pray towards this uh, this project, but I also wanted to tell you there, uh, it, it, we've been a little stuck as far as uh, working through the village, but it seems like some doors are opening and, uh, and people have pledged money in the past towards this project. And uh, this last uh, week we received a, a check towards one of these pledges for $50,000. So, you know, we're... we're uh, We're good and I I firmly believe that our greatest need right now is to pray. Um, So here's some areas that you can pray for and I meant to put them on the screen, I didn't. So if you're a a prayer warrior and you'd like to be praying for it, um, here are five different areas you can be praying for the place to gather. Uh, The first is giving thanks for God's faithfulness. Uh, God has opened doors, he's done some amazing things here and it's not to be taken lightly. Um, secondly, we'd like to pray for our brother Tom's health here. He's been leading this project and has uh, been struggling with, uh, with cancer treatments. And, and we believe that God's going to completely heal him and make him better and more obnoxious than he's ever been. But, uh, amen. Amen. Um, but in the meantime, just pray for his health. Uh, and then uh, there's an association agreement that's sort of one of the sticking points here. We need to get that thing finished. So we uh, can pray for that and then number 4 uh that the pud would be approved and number 5 that uh we have about 85% of what we need financially uh that the remaining 15% would come in whether it's um people giving or grants or whatever it might be if if you've given thank you if if you're thinking about it we uh, pray about it that that uh that maybe you'd be part of that so that's that's the place to gather update and then uh and then the other thing that's coming up after thanksgiving is Advent, that's good. I was, I was waiting for someone to say Christmas, which is also true. Uh, so Advent, Advent's, oh, it's on the screen. Come on, <laughs> seriously? Advent's coming up. And, and two things I'd like you to do for Advent. One is slow down and prepare your heart because the retailers and the advertisers, everybody's ramping up right now. This is the most profitable time financially for all the retailers, that's fine but let's make sure Christ stays in Christmas for each of us. And the time to be preparing is now. And then the second thing is, um, Advent is a time when people who are non-Christians or marginally Christian will come to church and are interested in it. So invite your friends. Invite your friends and invite them to know Jesus. So. All right, that, I, that's like two commercials for me, so we'll have to slim everything else down. We are wrapping up our Christian Leadership Series this morning. So we are in 2 Timothy, the passage of 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. That is printed in your bulletins, or you can uh, stay with me in your Bible. Uh, we have been in this series since August 25th, uh, and we've been walking through Paul's letter to Timothy. He has two different letters, First and Second Timothy. We've been walking through both of those letters. This is, I love this word, this is the penultimate... Uh, Message We're going to have the, the message before the last one. We're going to save the last one for January because we're heading into Advent. There's a couple reasons for that. Um, but this one today is a message of preparation. Message of preparation this morning. And so uh, last week, um, Norrell Taylor reminded us from uh, 1 Timothy 3 1. Was anybody here for Norel's message? Were you, were you here? Yeah. Okay. Can I, can I hear an amen? Amen. Yeah. It was a. Uh, you know, I'd like to be like Narell. I'd like to have the voice of my brother and all this stuff. But uh, God made me who I am, so I, I, I praise God for him. Uh, and uh, I raise my hands for him and all those sorts of things. Um, but, but he reminded us that, uh, that there is spiritual opposition to, our, to Christian leadership. To, to walking the Christian life, there's going to be opposition. So that's what Narell talked about this last week. Prior to that, we learned that Timothy had been poured into by his mother, his grandmother, and Paul. And the other day I was talking to my wife Asha and said, you know, that's a short list. Think about it, who has poured into your life? And Paul made a short list. He's like, well, there's three of us, your mom, your grandmother, and me. And I'm thinking about all the other people that Timothy knew, godly Christians back then, but those are the three that he got. And so maybe we don't get that many people pouring into our lives, but they are significant and worthwhile. And so Paul said, hey, Timothy, you have been poured into, and um, that there's a value to that, and God's given you a gift and fan that into flame, and I want you to live your life by the Spirit of God with the power, the love, the self-discipline, the boldness, the holiness, and resolute purpose of a Christian warrior. That's how you should live your life, because you're a little nervous. You're in this Ephesian church. It is not an easy place to be. There is opposition. Uh, There are people that are saying things against you. I want you to be resolute. I want you to be strong in your faith. And I want you to be willing to suffer if you need to suffer. So um, this this passage that we're in today is sort of the final preparation before Paul commissions Timothy. Um, Has anyone here ever been commissioned for anything? Have you been been commissioned? Anybody? Anybody willing to tell me what they've been commissioned for? It could, you know, it could be public service, it could be Christian commissioning. Anybody? A mission trip. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. missionaries get commissioned oftentimes, um, and actually in in, in public service, uh, you know, sometimes um, soldiers are commissioned or uh, other public servants, policemen, firemen. Um, Uh, People that are politicians, they they sometimes get commissioned for what they're about to do. And we, when we do baby dedications, we are commissioning parents for what we're about to do. Just prior to the charge that's given for uh, commissioning, um, usually somebody talks about uh, some level of preparation, what you might expect, and they they sort of lay that on, just say, hey, uh, you are about to do this, think about these things. And that's the passage that we have today. It's a preparation for the commission that is about to take place. The reason I'm saving the very last uh, part of Timothy for January is we'll use that for the commissioning of the new elders here at LifeSpring. Now here's the commission, from uh, from not today's passage, but next passage. This is what we're being prepared for is this in 2 Timothy 4, one through two. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Is that a big commission? That's a a big commission. Can you imagine somebody saying, this is your commission. It's the whole world. You know, (laughs) have have fun with that. And uh, how will Timothy do that? How is he going to be prepared to preach the word in season, out of season? By the way, if you ever go into pastoral ministry, people will stick a mic in front of your face at the most unknown time and you're expected to say something good. Can you imagine? Um, Well, As a side note, I want to point out the obvious. Now, we're we're going to try and link ourselves to the preparation that Timothy's going to receive, but most of us probably don't have a ministry of preaching the word. Is that right? Um, But if you look at our lives, all of us have influence on other people by what we say or by what we do. We are all teaching people, whether we like it or not, uh, you know, you, you watch your kids if you're a parent, you you see them doing all the different things that you're doing, and some of them you're happy about, and other things you're, like, needing to repent of. And, um, and, and the same thing for everyone else who sees us. If we live our lives with intentionality, we can make a big impact, all of us, on others. So nobody's exempt here. This is a preparation that we all need. So <clears throat> let me ask you, do you want to be equipped by God to be the best you can possibly be as a Christian. Do you want that? Um, To use the imagery of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer from earlier in this book, um, how do we sharpen our sword? How do we prepare for the race? How do we get the plow ready? In this passage, Paul speaks of being equipped for the work of God that he has for us. So our passage is about God-breathed spiritual equipping. God-breathed spiritual equipping. So what is that? God breathed spiritual equipping. And what Paul does for us here, he's talked about all these different things and, and you know, we can read First and 2 Timothy, we can read Titus, read the pastoral epistles, all these are about leadership and ways we should lead. But he's going to boil everything down to two main points today, and it's life and doctrine. Life and doctrine. Now, you know what your life is. Do you know what your doctrine is? Anybody know what the word doctrine means? Can somebody just shout out what they think the word doctrine means? What you believe, yeah, that's, that's really good. What you believe. And your doctrine, a doctrine is also another word for truth. So what is the truth that you believe? What is the life you're going to live and the truth you're going to believe? And Paul boils it all down, spiritual equipping, we gotta focus on these two areas, your life that you're gonna live and what you're going to believe. And so he begins this passage, saying, "You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions." My he starts making a list, <clears throat> and when he says, "You know," however, he's pointing to what happened prior to that. Uh, so he's contrasting himself with these bad teachers, Janus and Jambres. And uh, so if, if we remind ourselves of, of Janice and Jambres and that, that, that uh, team, what they believed and how they were living, 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5 says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Listen to that, kids. Oh, they're out. Shoot. Um, Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form, listen to this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. I have nothing to do with such people. And what Paul says is, in contrast to that way of life, follow my way of life. And I, every time someone says like, something like that in scripture, I just it just kind of sets the hair on the back of my neck on edge because he, he's basically saying my life is... Godly enough that you should follow it. Surely there are parts of my life that are wrong, and you can rebuke me for those. But the trajectory of my life is good enough that you can follow it. Can, can we say that? But Paul's able to say that. And he said, not this but that. My teaching, my way of life, my purpose, you've got it up there. Uh, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, and my sufferings. What a great way to end. Um, And so there's this list, which we'll talk about in a minute, but what we're essentially talking about is two different heart responses, two different heart responses uh, towards God, towards people, two different belief systems, two different ways of life. And the worldly belief system loves the things of this world, self, pleasure. The worldly belief system might actually be a form, love a form of godliness. What does it mean to love a form of godliness? Well, it could be that a person loves their spirituality, or a person might even love their Catholicism or Christianity or whatever that is, but they love the form of it. They love the outside trappings of it. But if you deny its power, what are you denying in godliness? What is the power of godliness? It's God. So if you're denying the power of godliness, you're denying God, but you're loving the trappings of godliness. It's possible to go church on a Sunday. It's possible to do all the things, you know, say all the right things, but to not love God Himself. And the heart of our faith is that we love God, and that's that's one of the, the summary pieces that, um, that Paul had there is, uh, it, we're we're going to not only love the people we're with and what we're doing, we're going to love God Himself. That's the heart of our faith. Now, Paul's teaching was grounded in scripture, his way of life, whether he was wealthy or poor, he was dedicated to that purpose. And that's what Paul says. There have been times when I've had plenty, I've had more than enough, I've been wealthy. And there are times when I've had nothing but my bare skin. And in all situations, I can be content. Now, um, Paul, the very first word on here, teaching is uh, aligned with doctrine. It's the first thing on his list. He said, uh, you know about my way of life. You know about my teaching. You know about my doctrine, the truth, which is grounded in scripture. And we're going to talk a little bit more of that in a minute, but that's the most important thing on his list is, is that, the word of God. And then he says the way of life. So how I lived out that faith and my purpose. What is your purpose? If someone were to say, you know, it's kind of like I do this sometimes with guys. I say, okay, quick, what are you wearing? And they look down and they're like, I can't remember. Um, (laughs) If someone were to do that with you on your, your, I know, it's kind of, only the girls are laughing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if someone were to do that with you, you know, with your purpose and say, what is your purpose? And you're like, Huh, do you know what your purpose is here on earth? Why are you here? Not just in this building, but why are you here? Can you, can you say that? And Paul is saying, you know my purpose, which is to glorify God and to take as many people with me as I can. And you know my faith, that despite all the difficulties, all the struggles, all the reasons, I mean, Paul's writing this from prison, I not only trust in God, I trust in him for my ministry and for, and for the th- things to work out in a way that glorifies him. You know about my patience, that I've, I've been in prison for multiple years on end and still kept the faith and, and used those opportunities in prison for God. And you know about my love. And, um, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 always seems to get read at weddings. It is the most... Uh, amazing, 1 Corinthians uh, 4 through 7 or 4 through 9, the most amazing uh, passage on love. But if we listen to that passage on love and we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we realize, you know, I, I don't really match up to that. But Paul said, I am plumbing the depths of, of God's love. I'm not there, but, I, but you know that I am showing his love to the best of my ability um, and that I am enduring and I'm enduring persecutions and I'm enduring suffering. Now, uh, some of us are enduring suffering and difficulties and maybe even persecutions. Um, We might be having people say things about us that are wrong and hard and difficult, and we might be experiencing suffering at some level. It could be physical, financial, it could be relational, all sorts of different things can cause us to suffer, and Paul, is not saying that those things are bad. We'd like to put that in the, in the bucket of bad. We don't want to, to experience suffering or persecution or, uh, or have to endure, but somehow endurance, uh, perseverance, is actually a spiritual gift. It's, it's something that God gives us to get through difficult times, and God can use those suffering er, persecutions to perfect our character in the midst of things, and he can also use it in other people's lives. So um, Paul, seeming to have uh, the, the, the idea of persecution, really is uh, close to his heart because he has experienced a lot of it, and he, he uh, he starts talking about um, where he's been persecuted. And then he said uh, in verse 12, in fact, uh, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is perhaps a parenthetical statement Um, that Paul has here, but he wants us to to get it, that it's not abnormal to experience suffering. Even though we want out of that, oftentimes, sometimes what we need to do is pray that we will learn what we need to learn in that moment, that we'll live the way we need to live in that moment, that we'll somehow find joy in the midst of difficulties and persevering and suffering, because this too is our life. And trusting God that he will wipe the tears from our eyes uh, when we are together with him in heaven. So, And we'd like to think that things are going to get better and better, but he says, no, quite the opposite. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The world cannot answer the most basic questions correctly, it seems, sometime. You ever kind of you read something, you're like somebody makes a law, or you hear about something in the news, and you're like, how... A two-year-old could answer this situation better than, than the adult that's in charge over here. And, and it just kind of blows your mind. But he said, you know, actually, uh, those people um, actually believe and a lie, and they're teaching others that lie, and they're spreading it. You, man or woman of God, need to live your life in the truth to counteract that. Because for every person that's doing that, we need people that are, that are speaking words of truth, speaking words of light, speaking words of life into other people's lives, being thankful, trusting God. Um, and so uh, Paul said, this is this, is, uh, this is this world. We're going to be experiencing some difficulty there. Um, Holman Apologetic Study Bible uh, makes a kind of a, a helpful note here. It says, this warning must be balanced with Paul's acknowledgement, that some unbelievers will respect Christians for their honesty, kindness, and wisdom, all of which produce peace when rightly received. And gives a bunch of references, First Timothy 2.2 2 being one of them. Um, so it's not like everybody is out to get us, but suffering and persecution is part of life. So you you take those two truths together and you say, well, if I act in a godly manner, some people will see that and see Jesus in me and and that'll be a good thing, but others actually will not and they'll do quite the opposite. And we can't expect everything to be the best, but we can expect that God will work out things for good. Um, And I I want to point out one other thing here. He he speaks of... um, being a follower of, or knowing my way of life, following my way of life, I wanna just camp out in that word for just a second here. This idea of following, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to a, a leader in the church. And a leader in the church cannot be a good leader unless they're a good follower. You cannot be a good leader unless you're a good follower. I can't be a good leader unless I'm a good follower. We need to learn, all of us, to lead and to follow at various times. Some people may do more leading, some people may do more following, but in order to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And especially we need to be good followers of Jesus Christ, but also there are other positions or situations where God has put us in where we have leaders over us and we need to figure out how we can support those leaders. Uh, God might put you in a situation at work where you've got a boss that is really annoying and you don't really like some things they're doing, but how in that context can you be a good follower? Or following with your parents, or following in a church setting, or or anything else, in the government. When we have when we have you know what we consider bad government officials, how do we how can we be a good follower? Um, so that's important. And now um, in verse fourteen, he says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have become convinced of, because you know." those from whom you have learned it, namely Paul, Eunice, and Lois, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. So from the womb, Timothy, you were hearing the scriptures. Your mama was reading scripture to you or reciting scripture to you while you were in the womb. This This is something that, um, that has taken, you, a gift that's been given to you as a child is you actually were born into a, a believing family, at least your mother and grandmother were. And so that was a, a huge gift for you, but you might be um, tempted to, to just sort of discount that and think it's not that important. And actually it is um, keenly important and you have the, the, um, the blessing of probably having a lot of scripture memorized. You have the blessing of understanding a a godly worldview of of all these sorts of things that other people have to come into and break bad habits. He said, you have this, Timothy, and that this word, the Holy Scriptures, so all these books, the Bible, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so, they're able to make you work out your salvation. You know, when we, when we uh, become saved, as some people say it, or when we come to Christ, or whatever the terminology is that, that uh, someone gives us, um, we, uh, we, we start out with this idea of positional salvation that we're instantly, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And so some people take that and they say, well, good, I'm saved, got it, and I'm going to live however I want. But I think in this verse, we're actually talking about working out your salvation. God doesn't save us just so we can be saved. He saves us so we can be holy and be in relationship with him. We can't be in relationship with him unless we're holy. So the trajectory of our life with God is to become increasingly like God and increasingly more the men and women and children that, that he intends us to be. That that's the direction we're supposed to go. And in order to do that, we have to be wise for salvation. And how can we be wise in this unless we've learned it somewhere? And how can we learn it from somewhere unless we learn it from the Word of God, which is written for us so we might understand who God is? And so um, in... uh, in the words, using Paul's previous images, keep on soldiering, run the race, plant the fields, don't stop, don't become distracted or discouraged because you know who you have learned it from and you know what you've learned. Which gets us into the second thing. So the, so the first one we said is life. Our lives ought to be worth following by somebody else. We ought to be able to answer that question. What is my purpose? We ought to be able to have, a, have a, um, a life that is on the trajectory towards heaven, even though we're going to mess up a million times. But we ought to be working out that salvation. And he said, uh, what you need to do, though, in order to do this, is to have this doctrine piece squared away, which is obeying the word of God. Uh, so these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And this isn't just any wisdom, it's... Wisdom that ends in salvation. So C.S. Lewis said, people often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you, and you don't and if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that this is the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, this part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is joy, peace, knowledge, power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, the eternal loneliness. Each of us at this moment is progressing to one state or the other. Now I know C.S. Lewis when he wrote those children's books was speaking baby language, because I've read some of his other writings, and you're kind of going, oh my gosh, what's he actually saying here? Um, But basically, Lewis is saying, you know, we are not so much about a set of rules, but about an identity of who we are, that God wants us. He doesn't want us just to toe the line. He wants our heart, our soul, and our trajectory. And as we move towards him, we're a creature of heaven. As we move the other direction, we're a creature of hell. And, um, if you want to read a, an interesting, uh, mind-twisting book, uh, The Great Divorce kind of explores some of those thoughts. Um, so through Christ, we've been forgiven for our sin. And, uh, and then Paul speaks of the nature of Scripture. So I, I love this. Um, all Scripture is God-breathed. And uh, I, I try not to bring Greek words in here too often, uh, but they am neustos. Theonoustos, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but it's one word. It's God and uh, the word pneuma, which is breath or spirit. It's it's one word, like the breath of God. Somehow God and his breath are in this scripture. Uh, It's just, it's unbelievable. God breathed, God spirited, inspired by God. All scripture is God breathed. Gordon Lewis in the Holman Apologetic Study Bible wrote, the Holy Spirit supernaturally motivated and superintended the prophetic and apostolic recipients of Revelation in the entire process of writing their scriptural books. So the implications of this is enormous. Where did the Bible come from? How many books are in the Bible? Anybody? 66 books. All right, that's awesome. Um, we could keep on going here. We can start doing some sword drills and everything. But, uh, So we we have these human authors. Uh, Some people like to call them something else, but we have human authors that somehow wrote the Word of God. And at the very same time, God was breathing into this process. God breathed. And so the process of all this, we like to say that every word is inspired by God. Every word is inerrant. But one of the things I don't believe is true, and people often, sometimes we say this, we say, you know, let me just be a conduit for you, God, and let me just be completely out of the way, and just what you have to say be there. And I don't think God typically works that way. I think that God actually works through our human personalities. He doesn't obliterate them. And so those personalities of the human authors come through those books, And yet, at the very same time, God worked it out so each of those words is true. That is amazing. So as we look at the Word of God, we realize there are human personalities that are involved. And as we read Paul's writings, clearly his personality is coming out, like him or not. um, And and some of us have chemistry for different people than others. We probably have chemistry for different Bible authors than others. But all of it's true. It's all God-breathed. And then um, if, we look at, uh, if we look at what it is useful for, so it's, that's where it came from. It's God-breathed. Oh, and, and we need to do this. We need to talk about the, uh, the Evangelical Free Church's statement of faith um, speaks to this specifically. So these are the words that the denomination were part of. Uh, how it describes it. it says, We believe that God has spoken in scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of the human authors as verbally inspired Word of God. The Bible is well, without error in its original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all it teaches, obeyed in all it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. And so if we come to the word of God and there's something annoying to us in there that we really don't like, we need to discern whether we're understanding it correctly in the word of God. And if we discern that we are understanding it correctly in the word of God, then we must come to the conclusion that there's something in us that probably needs to change. And if we really feel strongly about that issue, there's probably something big in us that needs to change. Um, and so we have to kind of work through those things. I, I do too. I, I read something, I'm like, I, I, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't like that. And, but, but then we kind of come to this part and we start praying over it and seeing, you know, maybe we're understanding incorrectly or maybe we just, we just, God needs to do a heart operation on us for that. So it is useful for what? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, who is Paul speaking to now? Is he speaking to Timothy or the people that Timothy is going to teach? He's actually speaking to Timothy right now. He's saying, Timothy, the word of God is useful for teaching you, for rebuking you, for correcting you, and for training you in righteousness. You're kind of like, well, can't I? <laughs> can't we bypass that? That's the occupational hazard of a of a pastor or preacher. Is we're going to speak to other people about something. You're like, gosh, darn it, I got a little spike in my heart here. I got to work through that first. And uh, and he's saying, no, you know, you take the stuff, let it teach you. And if necessary, let it rebuke or correct you. Does the Word of God need to teach you or rebuke you or correct you? and train you in righteousness or rightness, We might say, if if God designed us a certain way, he didn't design us to be bent, he designed us to be straight. He designed us to be not warped, but to be fully the person we're supposed to be. He designed us to have rightness. And what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us to be most fully the version of ourselves that we ought to be? (laughs) So in a world full of alternative stories, truths, beliefs, the word of God keeps us rooted in understanding who God is, who we are, how we ought to live. It trains us in things, rebukes us, corrects us, and, how we, and uh, when we've fallen off the path, it trains us in righteousness. The word of God, we've talked about, but the, that's, so that's the, if we think of Paul uh, acting as a transmission for the Word of God, the Word of God being the message, then we need to talk about the recipient for just a second. So what happens when the Word of God falls on the recipient's heart, uh, namely us? Um, What happens then? Are, Are we soft earth? Are we Uh, ground that needs to be plowed? Which of the four soils that Jesus brought up? The hard or the the hard soil, the soil along the path, the the soil in the rocks, the soil with the thorns, or the the good soil? Which of those soil are we? Um, The Word of God is useless in the life of a lifeless disciple. And so we need the Spirit of God to quicken us, to till our hearts, to circumcise them, to soften them towards the Word of God so that it may be planted, and that the kingdom of God might grow and become a reality in our lives. How many Christian leaders rise and fall because they will not allow the word of God to rebuke their own hearts? Most often in the area of humility. If we want to be servants of God, equipped for every good work, we need to be faithful, have faithful, available, and teachable hearts. When I'm looking for someone who's going to lead, And I've talked to so many other Christian leaders. When they're looking for someone to lead, we're looking for fat disciples. You know what I mean by fat? We don't want skinny disciples. We want fat disciples. And by that, I mean faithful, available, teachable. We need faithful disciples. We need available disciples, and we need teachable disciples. If they're not faithful, if they're not available, or they're not teachable they can't be a leader because uh, either they, if they're not faithful, you can't trust them. If they're not available, you can't use them. And if they're not teachable, they're heading for a fall no matter how high they go. And so all of us need to be seeking to be a fat disciple, not a skinny disciple that's missing those three ingredients. Um, Well, as we uh, sort of close out here, there are a couple of different passages. If you're thinking about um, memorizing some scripture, the Word of God, um, and one of them is this passage right here in 2 Timothy 4, 1, or I'm sorry, um, 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is God-breathed, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is a really awesome passage to memorize because it reminds us of the efficacy of God's word. Um, there's another one here that uh, that I love and uh, and think is important, and I'm wondering what the reference is here as I speak. That'll teach me. Um, 2 Timothy uh, 2, 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special purposes, some for common use, those who would cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments of special purposes made holy and useful to the master, prepared for any good work. Those would be some awesome passages for you to own, to just have those things. That speaks of a person's holiness. God wants us to be holy in order to be useful to him. Well, as we sort of uh, land the plane here, um, I started out with a word from Jeremiah forty four verse 3. Break up your unplowed ground. Do not sow among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. Um, I think we can do that this morning um, in three different ways. Um, Some of us might need to give our lives to Christ for the first time. Uh, We might say, you know, if, if, if these are the different sorts of creatures I can be, a creature headed, a hellish sort of creature, or a, I mean, I, I know these are. it's a little pejorative, but a hellish sort of creature or a heavenly creature? What's the trajectory that we're heading towards? And I want to be on that trajectory of being more fully the person that God made me to be. And, uh, and in order to do that, I need to give my life to Christ, trust in his righteousness, not in mine. And, and I just, even if I don't fully understand that, that the first step is just to pray to receive Christ's righteousness and ask forgiveness for our sins. So that might, that might be you, uh, or it might be rededicating your life in that way. Um, the second thing, uh, way, action step I think we can make here is to pray for spiritual equipping. And in that, uh, in that vein, um, people that would invest in your life, and knowing and obeying the word of God, well, life and doctrine. And then uh, perhaps the last thing is, um, as um, you heard about being a fat disciple, maybe you've been on a diet for a while and and, uh, you didn't feel like doing that, uh, faithful, available, teachable, uh, just pray about that. Hey, uh, is there something that needs to change my heart in order that I can be a a more faithful, available, teachable disciple here? We'll end with these words before we pray. Um, Today's whole message was summarized in 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is um, living, because the Spirit of God has been breathed into it. Thank you, as it says in Hebrews, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that you can do heart surgery on us with that. It's the one offensive weapon in the armor of God. Lord, help us to know your word well and to do what it says. And Father, I pray for each man, woman, and child here that you would give us good mentors, people who will help us to grow in our faith. And Lord, perhaps you have called us to be a mentor in someone else's life. pray that you would put that in our heart who that might be. Uh, But together, Lord, we are your people. And we are... So glad uh, to be called your children. In the name of Christ, amen.